Welcome to the Daily Standard Podcast. It's May 25th, 2018, right on the cusp of a long holiday weekend. I'm Charlie Sykes. Joining me on uh, the podcast today, Ethan Epstein of the Weekly Standard. Thanks for joining me. I appreciate it very much. My pleasure. Well, let's talk about uh, where we're at on North Korea. Now, at the moment, we are—we <laughs> should, should almost timestamp right. this when we're actually talking about this. At the moment, we are discussing this— uh, there's a possibility that the on-again, off-again summit could actually happen. Here's the lead on the New York Times story. President Trump said on Friday that his administration was back in touch with North Korea, and the two sides may reschedule his summit meeting with Kim Jong-un, perhaps even on the original June 12th date, a stunning reversal just a day after the president's last stunning reversal. So, Ethan, where are we at right now? Um, well, I frankly, uh, you know, I, I hate to sort of pat myself on the back here as a Nostradamus, uh, but but when the, when the uh, announcement of the meeting was first made, I did say I think at least once that this will be canceled at some point. And then yesterday when the so-called cancellation was announced, I said I think there's a good chance it'll come back. Um, I think it's pretty clear that there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a game of chicken going on between the North and, uh, and the Trump administration right now. But I do think that there's an internal logic that's pushing both sides towards having this meeting. So will it happen on June 12th in Singapore? At this point, I would be surprised because there's a lot of preparations that they need to do that they haven't. And in fact, that was the, the proximate cause of this latest cancellation was the, the representatives of the North simply not showing up to a preparatory meeting in Singapore. But I do think the overriding push from both sides is strong enough that there's going to be a meeting. Well, the uh, th- let's go to this proximate cause because there are a lot of reports about uh, the the fact that they had been uh, that our guys had been stood up uh, yeah. on on the logistics. But of course, what the president said in his letter, which apparently he dictated himself, that's that's pure Donald J. Trump, um, was that he was responding to some of the uh, the bellicose rhetoric from the North Koreans, um, specifically lashing out at Vice President Mike Pence. So. Which was it? Was it the logistical dance or was it the uh, the North Koreans calling Mike Pence a dummy for raising the Libyan option? Well, it was the logistics insofar as like they literally need to get certain things set up before the meeting can actually proceed. So that I mean, that was an actual, uh, you know, true literal impediment to going forward with the meeting. I do think the rhetoric uh, mattered a lot, though, as we know. President Trump is actually quite sensitive to the way people talk about him. You know, one of the reasons he has close relations with some leaders and bad relations with others is simply what they say about him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I do think he probably took it personally. And and North Korea realizes that, too, because, uh, you know, KCNA, the um, the <laughs> the in-house uh, I, I wish you could see scare quotes on in our podcast. But, you know, the news outlet uh, of North Korea is given to fulminating against the U.S. in very, very. Uh, blood, bloody, and uh, you know, often even profane terms, and they didn't. Yeah, very, very colorful. In their, very in their colorful, way. exactly. And but, but they yeah. didn't for a few weeks uh, when the meeting w- was was on. So I think that they too know that rhetoric matters to to Donald Trump. 
Well, let's, you know, again, going back to this, you know, try to unpack what happened with the, the cancellation. Yep. And obviously, the, a lot of this is, is opaque. Uh, some speculation, um, I always hate that phrase, by the way, but, you know, like some people are saying. Yeah. Uh, that, you know who else says that? Yes. Yeah, I know. A lot of people are saying it. Yes. It's, we're all, it's catching. Yep, we're all exactly. going to say this. We don't have to actually cite facts. But a lot of people are saying <laughs> right. that after that second meeting between Kim um, and the president of China, the tone changed. Yeah. That something happened at that meeting. And the president actually specifically mentioned that, said that he wasn't too happy about um, the the post-second meeting vibes he was getting from North Korea. What possibly happened there? It's a good question. You know, those meetings between Xi Jinping and Kim Jong-un are utterly shrouded in secrecy, so much so that we don't know that they're happening when they are happening. You know, we only get like a readout later. Um, You know, I think China actually does want this meeting to go forward, too, because Actually, if the if the negotiation were to go the way that uh, both Trump and North Korea want, which would be let's let's just take everyone at face value, which would be a denuclearized yet uh, continuing regime, you know, with a security guarantee, that's best case scenario for China because they want the regime to be protected, but they don't want a nuclear weapon state right on their their um, their doorstep there. So I'm it is very unclear why that meeting changed the tone, because you could detect it. That's true. But China is clearly disappointed that the meeting won't go forward. South Korea is obviously disappointed. And I think probably the only neighbor who wouldn't be is Japan because Shinzo Abe feels kind of sidelined and he's he's more hawkish on North Korea than any of his neighbors. What do you make of the fact that the the summit was canceled without giving even a heads up to the South Koreans? That that seems to have been one of one of the storylines from yesterday is the the South Korean embassy was caught completely yeah. flat footed and issued a statement that essentially said we have no idea what's going on. We're trying to figure out what the president just did. So South Korea, you know, I, I meet with a lot of South Korean diplomats both here and in Korea, and uh, they are struggling in the current environment because despite being a very close ally of the United States, you know, a uh, treaty ally and uh, a, a longstanding ally too, and of course a great trade and cultural partner, they have been frozen out in a lot of ways um, and they feel it. So they are throwing their hands up a lot and I and I'm... I'm not surprised, but I do think it's a pretty shabby way to treat a close ally. Well, going back to that question about what what happened in uh, in in China, is there? I mean, I, it seems obvious um, that that there is a connection between these nuclear talks and some of the trade tensions yes. between the United States and and China. So again, we are talking about uh, three or fourth dimensional chess yeah. here. Um, that that the, the the Chinese obviously want to extract concessions from the United States, which apparently they've been somewhat successful at, at getting. So it, it is. It it strikes me that it's a mistake to see the nuclear talks in isolation without looking at that larger picture of the trade negotiations and the trade tensions. I think that's right, and I think that plays to the um, you know the U.S.'s machinations as well. Insofar as you could, you know, last year as Trump was uh, ramping up rhetoric, but also sanctions on North Korea and, and going to the U.N. and getting more sanctions. At the same time, he was threatening things like tariffs on China, and I. So I think that was about compelling Chinese action on North Korea, too. In addition to I mean, we know that Trump is also sincere in his grievance about trade practices. But I I think you're right that the you can't see those two issues as being discreet. I I think that's exactly right. 
the the other question that, that I had was why Mike Pence and, and John Bolton keep raising the Libya – and this is just a question. I'm not arguing about it. Why they keep raising the quote-unquote Libya option when they have to know that that's probably the um, least diplomatic analogy they could use because, of course, as we know, the Libyans gave up their nuclear weapons uh, in exchange for promises of economic aid. Uh, which never really materialized, then Muammar Gaddafi ends up dead. Yeah. So um, when you're saying, hey, you know what, if you don't do this, you're going to end up like Muammar Gaddafi, that was pretty aggressive rhetoric, um, which also led to some speculation. Were there folks who were trying to undermine this, people who were alarmed by the prospect that this uh, um, that this, uh, this summit was, was taking place? You know, might there have been some sort of behind the scenes saber rattling actually not behind the scenes actually saber rattling Before by the cameras, using those, yeah. those images I think well obviously like part of the problem here is that the Libya model can refer to two things for one it can refer to the peaceful nuclear disarmament of a regime which was the first step and then of course the second step was when <laughs> as you point out NATO troops assisted in the removal of the dictator who had a few years ago given up his weapons uh, so once we it was actually never clear which part of the Libya model all those various people were talking about um, and I I'm not gonna you know speak to either the subconscious or even conscious uh, motivations of a guy like John Bolton but it's obvious that he uh, views these negotiations with a certain skeptical eye and he's clearly more hawkish I think he's instinctively more hawkish than the president in fact Um was he was he purposefully trying to scuttle the meeting? I don't know, but I I don't think there's any denying that the constant references to Libya have uh, thrown a wrench in things. Yeah, but it, when you when you when you think about it, it's it's pretty much the last analogy that you would want the North. Koreans yeah, I guess he could say about. like, oh, we're going with the Hiroshima model. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, that's right. right. Well, it's like, no, really, trust us. Give up the nukes and and see how well it works right. for other people <laughs> to right. rely yeah. to deal with us. Exactly. It's like, no, this would be one of those things that you might want to, I don't know, you know, put on the the back burner. Yeah. Um, I don't know whether you've read uh, Max Boots' piece in the Washington Post. He he takes a pretty. Uh, um, I would say a negative take on the way this is going on. He says, uh, to judge by the evidence of Trump's dealings with China and North Korea this week, uh, his, uh, you know, the, the unleashed Trump presidency has been a disaster. The Trump train has just jumped the tracks. Trump marched into a confrontation with China, America's top trade partner in the serene confidence that trade wars are good and easy to win. As recently as Tuesday, he was claiming when you're losing $500 billion a year, you can't lose in terms of negotiation. Of course, that number was 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 wrong. Um, and then, uh, you know, thought that he could uh, threaten China with tariffs. Beijing would fold as quickly as one of the vendors he has made a practice of stiffing. Not so fast. China retaliated by stopping purchase of U.S. soybeans, hurting the farm states whose votes Trump needs. China also made it plain it wasn't going to pressure North Korea into concessions as long as Trump was threatening its trade. And then basically, lo and behold, Trump caved. Does that seem... Does that seem right to you? It seems premature to me. It, it, you, you know, it seems as premature as those people saying Donald Trump, you know, should get a Nobel Prize based on the fact that they've announced a meeting that has now been postponed. I think let's, you know, negotiations with China over trade, possible negotiations with North Korea over their nuclear program. These these matters have not been concluded yet. So I, I hesitate to uh, make such a strident judgment at this point. 
Yesterday, and this is re- related, obviously, since we're on this issue of, of trade, um, the uh, the administration floated the their intention to slap a 25% tariff on all foreign-made cars. Yeah. It would be a pretty dramatic move, would obviously not, would, you know, have tremendous impact on, on, on European uh, car, car makers. The one thing that was uh, was interesting was watching the pushback from Republicans in Congress, who, as we know, have been reluctant to break with the president pretty much on anything. Did you get the sense that that this was an exception? Some of the things that Marco Rubio has been saying about uh, the, the the deals with China, some of the other reaction of folks like uh, Senator Corker, uh, you know, is 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 this going to be the the one area where Republicans in the Senate say, "Hey, listen, uh, don't do this. This is wrong. We're going to push back." I mean, we've exp- <laughs> we've asked that question many times, and the answer has usually been no. Maybe this case will be different. And of course, there's also the I think a strong chance that the mooted 25% tariff is, as usual, you know, an opening bid, and that nothing approaching that is going to be in the, the the final offing from the Trump administration. So the Senate won't have to act ultimately. But it obviously does offend those that have free trade uh, bona fides. Um, I. I We'll see. I do think uh, the Trump administration has one legitimate gripe, which is, or, you know, several, but one is that uh, the 2.5 percent duty uh, that we assess on on foreign imports is a lot lower than those that Mm -hmm. other countries do have on our exports. So there is an imbalance there that should be dealt with, I think. Now, the biggest question that I have today, though, is is how you ended up at a pink concert. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> now, no, it's it, it's particularly because, and you you know it you you note in your piece that about eighty percent of the people who showed up at this con this concert at the Oracle Arena were women. So you were one of the very very small number of guys that showed up. So well, maybe that's why I was there, Charlie. You know, okay. The, okay why the, the hell did you show up at a pink concert? Okay, so. There's got to be a backstory. I'm tempted here to just completely blame my sister for whom I bought our tickets. Uh, She lives in Oakland, and this was a late birthday present for her. But that would be slightly dishonest. It was a good opportunity for me to go to a show that I wanted to go to for a while and uh, let her take the blame. We'll put it that way. Okay, but obviously you 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 seem to have an appreciation for her. You say that she's keeping the dying genre alive. Yes. So give me your take on that. See, so, no, no one expected we were going to go from North Korea to pink. At least no of all me. So, you know, I <laughs> no, um, <laughs> I think um, it's no secret that, you know, the genre of rock music is in something approaching terminal decline. You know, rock stations are, are on life support. You know, major markets no longer have modern rock stations, which shows how sick the genre is. Uh, I, I look at the Billboard charts a lot. I noticed that the number one rock format song uh, a few week a few months ago. Uh, was number 27 on the Billboard Top 40, showing just how weak the format is. So Pink uh, is at her heart a rock musician. It's a live band. It's guitar-driven music. She writes the songs. It's There's a lot of bells and whistles that go along with it. There are amazing sets, amazing animation, acrobatics. But it's rock music, and uh, it's good to see that there's someone who's still making contemporary hits that are that are rock, and that she's still filling arenas. She's incredibly popular. And here's another thing I've learned since I've written that piece, which actually picked up a lot more readers than I expected. And you know, people on Twitter saying, "Yeah, Pink is great." Like all of these Pink fans have been hiding in plain sight this whole time, <laughs> but no one ever says that they're fans. 
Yeah, I say I, I I'm I'm reluctant to to mention that I really like her stuff. Yeah, she's you also. I, it's like it, that just seems wrong. So if know? I make it safe for people to admit it, then this article and will totally have been worth it. It might be. You point out though in her career, she's a she's been a chameleon. She's actually gone through a number of iterations before she's found this voice that that you point out has made her so successful. In the, and, and, and sticking around. So what do you mean when she's a chameleon? Well, I think in the beginning she was sort of manufactured. So she was – they were trying to follow the like Backstreet Boys, um, uh, Christina Aguilera model. Like, oh, we're going to create this sort of plastic pop star. Uh, but it didn't really fit because she just – there was something off with that iteration. And when she was able to sort of cast that off – and she's actually – you know, she's songs lyrics about this and and sort of – embrace uh what she actually wanted to be uh the music and her career in fact has has really benefited from it so that's actually nice it's it's kind of a heartwarming tale of like if you actually follow your dreams that can work sometimes so your favorite songs are who knew and just like a pill (laughs) among them yes and in fact i I, I just have to say that who knew has been stuck in my head for the uh, you know literally every waking minute since I've been to the concert. So keep that in mind if, if any of our listeners plan to go. Okay. Now this is actually a true story and I'm actually trying to think about what I'm trying to remember why I thought this was a good idea. Okay. <laughs> Just my background on all of this. But when I was doing my, my radio talk show, this is a conservative radio talk show. Yep. There was one day when I was probably just had just had it with the news cycle, the politics. I mean, you know how that feels? Oh, and yes. It is, it is. It was one of those just screw it type days. Or, or maybe I was just fascinated by the fact that the number one song um, of that whatever it was that 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 month was Pink's. It's just you and your hand. Oh, yeah. Guys, can we just stop here and realize that there is a song that is this monster hit that it's just you and your hand tonight, which is actually absolutely hilarious. Totally. I mean, it really is. You you want to talk about, you know, there's 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 and not because it's, it's vulgar or crude. It's because it was so clever because there's so much other stuff that's just, you know, crap out there, yep. you know, that you can get it. But um, it was clever, and uh, it's it a was good song too. I, I open up the phones, and if if memory serves, which I'm not totally confident of, most people thought it was they liked the song and they thought it was funny. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I don't think I got too many of the church ladies calling up saying, you know, why are you playing this and what does it mean? <laughs> no, none of that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Although probably they just didn't get through the screener. Yeah, right, right, right. yeah exactly. And it's a good All song right. too, so that helps. All right. So your sister liked it. It was we had a great time. Okay. So this 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 was worth it and you weren't looking around going, you know, I mean people didn't give you like weird looks being there. No, and there was the easiest bathroom line I've ever experienced at a rock concert as a guy. Well, this is an interesting point because you point out that that apparently the management understanding the the demographics of pink viewership uh, converted a bunch of men's rooms into women's rooms by just like taping women's signs over the men's signs. Yes, although as my sister then pointed out, like it, I mean, it was a nice gesture, but if you're still going into a bathroom with like 27 urinals and three stalls, like it's 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 not that efficacious. Okay, so why is it 80 percent women? I don't know if there's any. I mean, why 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 women? 
it, it's and, and also, why am I embarrassed to say that I like this music? And I really am. And I'm probably going to have to delete this this, right. uh, this entire podcast because this, I mean, I, I never had a problem saying, you know, I like listening to Prince. I yeah. don't you know, particularly care about, you know. So you I know. wonder if there I'm trying to think like, do you there might be an inherent sexism in popular music. So so like if there's a female musician, it gets cast as girl music music for girls whereas if there's a uh, with with rare exceptions i'd say male bands and male musicians can appeal to both sides and i wonder if that is speaks to a sort of inherent sexism i think the other thing is that pink in particular has gone out of her way to sort of cultivate her female audience like there's a sort of pink sisterhood um girl power girl power thing going on there so Uh, if you went to a taylor swift concert would it would it be what would what would the gender balance be uh, or ariana grande yeah i Swift. I have I, no idea. I think Swift would have more men because there would be younger women with their that were dragging their boyfriends. But that's that's a guess. Yeah, the the, the eighty percent does tell you that this is girls going with girls, and they exactly. don't feel the need to have their boyfriend along. Totally, all. totally. Well, it was and, it was and, like and, gaggles. And frankly, well, that's one of the themes. I'm going. Let's go back to it's just you and your hand tonight. She's <laughs> out there. She's drinking with her girlfriends, and she doesn't need the drunken boorish guy. I think that's right? exactly she right. Need yep. the guy. Totally. We've done this. We've, We've cracked the code. We talked about North Korea and Pink. Ethan Epstein, thank you so much. I hope you have a great weekend. Yeah, you too. And uh, thank you for listening to the Daily Standard podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We're going to be taking Memorial Day off, but we will be back on Tuesday with kind of an interesting and edgy podcast. Have a great weekend.